Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Angela Dominguez. Uh, she's author of the Stella Diaz book series, and we're going to be talking about some of our newer books, uh, including Stella Diaz Never Gives Up and coming in 2021, uh, Stella Diaz Dreams Big. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Remy Lay's illustrated middle grade novel called Pie in the Sky. Uh, but first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. And this one today is called Res Road, and it was written by Joseph Bruchek. Res Road. The place we live in isn't very big compared to all that once was ours. This reservation we call home is ten miles long and six miles wide. But even though it's not that large, a nice new state superhighway cuts through the middle of Maple Forest, hunting grounds where we found medicine plants. My Grandpa Big Tree has always had what our people called a really well-developed Indian sense of humor. He says it all worked out for the best. It's made hunting a whole lot easier for us, although now it takes two, one to stop traffic and one to run out into the road to pick up game. Although I know he's only kidding, he's shown me how, if you know how to look, you can really find our old healing plants growing next to that four-lane road. Sometimes tourists stray off the interstate down onto Frog Street, where our Indian school, Box Lacrosse Rink, and meeting house, all crowd together with churches and trailers and well-worn houses in need of paint, some with cars without wheels up on concrete blocks, parked like lawn ornaments in their front yards. No one ever gets rich when they stay here. Living on the res, you learn how to share. Tourists just don't see the things we see. They're looking for teepees and chiefs in war bonnets, not some dark-haired kid wearing sneakers and headphones, bobbing his head to Indian rap. Yeah, things seem different than they did long ago. Some of our own people don't even know how to speak our language, though we teach it in our school. Some hit the road and don't come back. But some of us, like Grandpa Big Tree, know that hidden roots still give you strength. There will always be another day. Four winds will always remember our names. No matter how many roads they build, Mother Earth is always beneath our feet. My guest today is Angela Dominguez, award-winning illustrator and author of such books as Marie Had a Little Llama and I Love You Baby Burrito, as well as the Stella Diaz books, Stella Diaz Has Something to Say and Stella Diaz Never Gives Up. In addition, Angela also teaches at the Academy of Art University. You can find her website at www.angeladominguezbooks.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Angela. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned, you've written a couple of these books uh, featuring this character, uh, Stella Diaz. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, well, who Stella is? Yeah, I'm always happy to chat about Stella. So Stella all began from this little character design that I had of a girl with curly hair and wore a polka dot dress. 
And I was thinking I wanted to do a picture book of her at an aquarium. And when I was writing that original story, um, I worked on it for almost a year with an editor. And then I realized that the story wasn't quite working. And they were telling me it wasn't clear uh, who this Stella character was. The character was supposed to be shy and it wasn't really clear in a picture book format. And it also seemed like maybe she had a crush on the kid that she was afraid to talk about to in the picture book. And so I put it aside and I started illustrating these Lola Levine series. And then I started thinking about Ramona and I started thinking about Stella could be a longer book, kind of like Lola Levine or Ramona. And when I started writing it, it it took me a while to kind of think, how can I expand this from like a 30 page book into a much, much longer story? And then I started thinking about why I was shy as a child. So that's when I started really incorporating a lot of my own personal experiences into developing the Stella Diaz character. So it's um, a girl who's an immigrant. English is her second language, technically, but she moved to the United States when she was little, really young, and she had to take speech classes. And it's about her learning to find her own voice. And through each book, she's grown more confident. And I think the biggest difference between me and Stella is Stella loves the oceans and loves sea creatures and becomes an advocate for protecting and conserving them. And in the the latest book, Stella Diaz Never Gives Up, she's very much on a mission that involves the ocean, because I did have a chance to read it, and I enjoyed it very much. You talk a little bit about, you know, what what kind of her uh, big sort of passion is in that that book, the latest book. Well, with that book, it's, it's summertime, and I remember being, when I was a child, it was this frustration of summer was great because you didn't have to go to school, but you could always get bored too if you didn't have a lot to do. So she decides she's going to continue learning about the oceans and through the process of learning more about them, she realizes that there's a growing problem with pollution, particularly plastic pollution. And when she goes to the shed summer camp, she decides um, with the help of some of her club members or her future club members to create this pledge and then also try to save and protect the oceans by getting people to cut back on plastics. Was there a lot, because it seems like the, there's a lot of information in that book that there is a, a, certainly a research component as uh, as part of it. Yeah, definitely. You know, with both books, because I, I'm still at this point, especially with the first and second, I was still lo- like learning how to write middle grade. So I began each book with a lot of research because I thought, you know, she loves the oceans and I wanted to like, include fun facts. And it was actually during the process of researching that I myself was seeing um, all this increase in plastics. And there was this National Geographic uh, Geographic. A website called Plastic or Planet, and it talks about how um, just it's it's really saddening images of seeing like places like Henderson Island that is completely uninhabited by people, but it's covered with plastic because the way that the um, currents go with the ocean, all the plastic ends up and on that island. So that really um, ended up influencing the writing, and I don't claim to be you know like as thorough as someone who's writing on fiction, but definitely do uh, quite a bit of research when I'm writing these books. 
And it is very distressing news, but at the same time, Stella definitely does have a plan or an action. So kids reading this, uh, they... Um, it's, it's not so much they have to, you know, it might make them feel bad, but it gives them an idea of things that they could possibly do themselves. Yeah, I was, I wanted the book to be optimistic because it's, it is really discouraging to see that, but at the same time, it, it's not too late and we can all cut back. And I, I love that attitude of children that they can fix it. You know, uh, if there's a problem, they'll they'll do whatever it takes to try to fix it. And I wanted it to be approachable and also encourage kids that maybe it's not the oceans that they're excited about, but whatever it is that they can speak up for things and causes that are important to them. Is there a, a part of the book that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, sure. I always like sharing the early part of the chapter because I think it's that's uh, the tone of, well, an early chapter in the book, because I think it sets the tone of the story. So this is from chapter two. Now, plan B is not bad at all. It's actually great. The B in plan B might stand for the best idea. My plan is to continue what I started in Mrs. Bell's class and study as much marine life as possible. I'm hooked. Like Jacques Cousteau said, the sea, once it casts a spell, holds one in its net of wonder forever. Scientists predict that we've only seen 5% of the ocean floor. It makes sense since they are miles deep and cover 71% of the Earth. I'll need to know more about the oceans, too, if I'm able to go to the Shedd Aquarium summer camp. Mom helped me apply a little while ago, but we haven't heard anything. I even included with my application a persuasive essay on how I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. To top it off, I attached pictures of my animal project from Mrs. Bell's class. I really hope that I'm accepted into the summer camp. This way, I'll be doing something memorable this summer, just like everyone else I know. Like Jenny has her dance camp, and she's even going to have a big recital, one of the biggest in town, she says. Then Nick has his first big job. It's only part-time, but he gets a paycheck like an adult. Mom is so proud of him. She wanted to frame his first paycheck, but Mom, but Nick said no. He wanted to keep the money more. I want to make Mom proud of me, too, but I can't get a job. I'm too young to work. All I know is if I don't have a project or a venture of my own, my summer will be boring with a capital B, and I'll also fall behind everyone else. She has a very distinct voice, I think, um, and a very engaging character, which I think, uh, you know, along with the stuff about the ocean, is a very appealing to kids. Oh, thank you. Now, my understanding is that um, for those who have read uh, these books or perhaps will have a chance to read these books, that you, uh, we have more to look forward to uh, in um, what Stella Diaz has, uh, what might be happening next for her. Yeah, so in January of 2021, the third Stella Diaz book comes out. It's called Stella Diaz Dreams Big. And with that one, it's dealing with how kids are getting overscheduled. Um, and it's so Stella gets excited about so many things and she wants to tackle everything on, but she gets overwhelmed and she doesn't know how to handle it. And then on top of it, because she's entering into fourth grade, uh, there starts to be questions of whether she likes Stanley or not, because it's getting into that crush stage. And so it's a little bit of that, um, you know, tame bullying that happens in elementary school. 
And then um, I'm working on the fourth Stella right now. I just finished my first draft, but we don't have a title for that one quite yet. Oh, so a couple of books to look forward to. Yes. Very good. Very good. I had a, a question for you because you're, 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 you're a writer and an illustrator. I know some, there are some books you've been just the illustrator, and, but uh, so a lot of your own books you've uh, both written and illustrated. And I'm just wondering, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not an illustrator myself. How does being an illustrator and writer, how do each of those kind of inform or influence, uh, like how does being an illustrator influence your writing or vice versa, your writing influence, uh, your illustrate, illustrations? Well, with picture books, there's such a delicate balance between the two. So my brain is constantly switching back and forth and thinking of whether I'm going to write this or show this with the visuals. With Stella, because they're such longer books, I think usually what ends up happening is I focus primarily only on the writing. But while I'm writing, I start kind of thinking about what would be fun, memorable scenes to try to draw. Or um, particularly when I'm including, you know, uh, those aquatic creatures, I think about which one would be more fun to draw, which one would be maybe more difficult to draw. So I take that into consideration with the writing. Now, it's interesting. The the book that you picked as one of your favorite kids books is also a book that combines, you know, writing and, and illustrations to tell the story. Uh, that book is uh, Pie in the Sky. It was written and illustrated by uh, Remy Lay and is written in 2019. Uh, for readers who are unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time I read it myself, you talk a little bit about uh, what Pie in the Sky is about. Sure. Um, I loved Pie in the Sky. Uh, I read it when I was judging for SCBWI's Golden Kite Awards, and it just stood out among all these books that I had, and it's just been so memorable in, in my mind. In a lot of ways, it's about um, a family immigrating to a new country and them adjusting to the transition of moving from uh, Asia to Australia. But then on top of it, it's a story of grief and healing because uh, you find out that these two young characters who are having to learn English and acclimate to a, a new school and new culture and country, uh, they lost their father who was a baker and the mom is a baker. And, and through the process of baking, the older brother, Jing Wayne, overcomes um, the sadness and depression that he is experiencing um, about the loss of his father. And so I I love that it's a humorous book uh, with a lot of kid appealing things like the baking and all the fun, very cartoony illustrations. But then it also tackles these very tough subjects in a way that is approachable for kids. And you mentioned uh, the the main character here, uh, Jing Wen, who is the narrator of the story. Uh, what is it about as a, a character, since we spend all of our time with him in, in this book, that makes him an appealing character to, you know, listen to both his his, his joys and, and particularly his struggles that he goes through? Uh, I think part of it is that for myself, I, I do relate to him, even though I immigrated to the United States when I was much younger. It was the frustrations of feeling like an outsider that particularly resonated with me and the images of him feeling like an alien, like literally like an alien was something that I resonated as well. But I also love that like he's 
a little dry, a little sarcastic, and he's such this contrast to his younger brother, who is just a giant goofball. And I also love the fact that he's so into baking, and um, that is a way that he's actually is learning some of his English as well. Yeah, in, in some of the illustrations, uh, well, first he pictures the other people as aliens and Martians, and then he sort of said, well, maybe I'm the one. And then he, throughout much of the the book, he presents himself as sort of, you know, as a lot of eyes and antenna. And I thought it was interesting, too, the, the, the English he doesn't understand is conveyed through these sort of random symbols and pictures. And just uh, as an interesting way of the author convince uh, conveys that sense of feeling just out of place and just, uh, you know, everything just it kind of baffles him a little bit. Yeah. And I love the analogy of him being like the little prince character isolated on a planet by himself. I thought that was just so thoughtful. Uh, one of this, uh, you mentioned the this, this sort of uh, conflict uh, throughout the book is this uh, younger brother of his, uh, Yang Hao. It's, he has this complicated relationship. A, a lot of it's strained. It also provides a lot of the humor as well. If you want to talk a little bit about uh, what the relationship is and uh, how it factors into sort of the decisions that Jing Wen makes as he's going through the book as well. Well, he- Yang Hao is just so impulsive, like any, well, I think a lot of nine-year-olds are. And he is just, you know, everything is, he wants it immediate. And that also makes him, in a way, uh, easier to learn English as well, because he's just, he jumps for it, he goes for it, and the brother is more restrained and more thoughtful. And so his, the younger brother is like a sponge absorbing all this all the new English and all of this new language and assimilating while uh, Jin Wang is more reserved and he doesn't want to let go of what he associates with his home and also his father. So it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. They, they, he kind of develops this uh, book of rules uh, for mainly for his brother about things he has to remember to do. So they, don't disclose the secret of the cakes. And I think one of the running gags is he has to keep adding uh, right. because his brother keeps finding new ways to kind of let the cat out of the bag, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. And uh, the other relationship, uh, even it's a character who's no longer there is, is his late father who factors a lot. Um, you know, he dies suddenly and Jingwen feels guilty about how the things left unresolved. You know, he talks a lot about, you know, the going back and his father making cheap cakes and, or he, that's the way he, he told his father and feeling bad about this. So, um, this baking the cake is, He's trying to do something uh, to uh, help him in some way. Right. And it's, um, I think what I like also is the epiphany later on that he has, that he re- realizes that the cakes that they made at home from the pie in the sky book versus the cakes his father made for their store, he realizes that these are not cheap cakes, but humble cakes and they serve a purpose and they're delicious in their own way. And I think when he, because he was being picked on at school, he couldn't, he didn't have the capacity to understand what his father was trying to say to him at that time. And it is actually kind of neat to read through the novel and all the different cakes that he's made. In many ways, this is not a, a book to read on an empty stomach, I would say. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it too, because, you know, cakes are this delicious, sweet treat that does make everyone smile. And, you know, when I'm particularly stressed out or usually a couple of times a week, I love to unwind with, if I'm not eating a slice of cake, at least watching a baking show, because it's like triggering that same happy response in my, um, in my head. It actually includes a recipe, I believe, at the end of the book. Yes, it does. Now, I wouldn't call this a graphic novel, but the illustrations really have an important part in actually telling the story. If you talk a little bit about what the illustrations bring to the story, because I don't think you could take them out and have the same story. Yeah, I think particularly what I love about it is that um, they use this gray overtone when he's having the flashbacks with his father. And uh, it always slows down the story for a little bit so that you can actually really live in that moment of him talking to his father. And so I love that interplay because I, I think what a beautiful graphic novel can really play with the um, concept of time, you know, slowing things down, hurrying things along. And also it, it gives you the wonderful diagrams of the food. And then I think especially when it's, it's not, I mean, it's like a little juvenile humor of them getting so sick to their stomachs because they were eating so much cake. It's really exaggerated by those images rather than, you know, descriptions or written words. I think it particularly might be appealing for um, struggling readers to have, you know, both the text but the illustrations to help them to take them to the next text. And it sort of uh, breaks, even though it's a very important part of the story, it helps to break things up a little bit, too. Yeah, definitely. It gives them a moment to, like, rest and just enjoy the illustrations and follow along with the story. Now, um, I'm always a proponent of, you know, of, of children's books, not just for children, but that uh, I know they're usually designed to be read by a certain age group, but other age groups reading it, even adults. And I'm wondering if this would be useful for older kids or even adults. I'm thinking in particular for teachers of students with English as a second language, because I'm, I'm thinking of one teacher in particular in this uh, book who just does some not very good things, uh, teaching practices, right. and how uh, this might be useful for maybe things not to do, uh, for uh, or at least to get a perspective of, of the students they have, or at least one perspective. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think uh, there it would help build empathy and awareness because the teacher, the Mister Hart character, thinks that he's helping Jing Wang by forcing him to be on the spot and read out loud. But when you're struggling with speech or you have a new uh, language that you're learning, it's the most uncomfortable feeling. So it's, I, I really do agree that I think this would be great for educators and adults to read. And I also just think because the fact that it's immigration in the United States is such a um, hot topic, but to have it be t discussed in a book that is dealing with a different part of the world but relating a lot of things that are happening to students and kids here, I think it would allow people to read it in a new way and maybe see it from a different perspective. And I think the humor of the book also makes it a, um, you know, it, it deals with very serious topics, but the humor um, is a, an important part of the storytelling process as, as well. Oh, definitely. And um, if I remember correctly, it won the Sid Fleischman Award, too. It's, it's a very funny book. Is there a, a, a passage from the book that you'd like to share with us? Oh, yes. Um, it's from chapter 
19. And this is after he's baked cakes, I believe, for the first time. Um, And it says, what's wrong with your face, young class, when I meet up with him at the gates after school? What? I pat my cheeks. Is there rice on my face? No, you're smiling. It has turned out to be a surprisingly good day. Cakes make me happy, not just because they taste good, but they also bring me good luck. I don't know why and I don't know how, but cakes are magic. Okay, maybe not, but cakes bring smiles, just like Papa said. The day he told me that, I had been sulking. I don't remember why, because I was little, but it was probably all thanks to young Hal. He must have stolen or destroyed something of mine. Papa asked me if I knew why he liked cakes. Because we sell them for money to buy toys? Ha! Yes, but also when someone is feeling sad, they can't help but smile at the sight of cake. Doesn't matter if it's a simple cake or an elaborate cake. They can forget their troubles even for a moment. And then he hands them a cupcake and he says, for you, Jingwen. I do think it's a universal truth that cakes do tend to make things better. Yes, I agree. <laughs> well, Angela, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me uh, both about uh, Stella and uh, we're looking, looking forward to the new books coming out and for um, talking to me about Pie in the Sky. Like I said, this is a, a new book to me and that's always an exciting thing when I get to read a book that I haven't I had a chance to read yet. So thank you for taking the time to introduce it to me and to talk to me today about it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm always happy to share new books. You can find Angela's website at www.angeladominguezbooks.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com. Or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>